So we're in 1 John chapter 5, but as we do each week, I, I want to start at another text and so go to Matthew chapter 6. You might mark your spot there in 1 John, but Matthew chapter 6. And the longer we've gone through the 1 John, the easier it's been for me to find something in the, in the Gospels. I've tried, I put a challenge on myself each week to find something in his life that he did before, or that he heard, that he heard taught, or that he encountered, that informs the text that he's given us in 1 John. And it's gotten easier each week, and I think it's um, maybe because I've got to know him better. I just think it's awesome. And I think it gets easier too, because the more I see what he is teaching us is not new. He is just encouraging us in the faith. He is teaching us what he has been taught, what Jesus taught him. He was the disciple that was with him, that he left on the earth the longest. And so he is teaching us what Jesus taught, and that's what you want in a teacher. And so uh, I hope to do that as well. That's why I want to take you back, and that's why we flip as often as we do. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, says, "And And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, For they love to pray standing in the synagogue and in the corners of the street, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So he does a little comparison. He says, when you pray, it's not to be a show. It's not a performance. It's not to impress others. Oh, listen to the fancy words he says. Man, what a vocabulary. And the throw in the these and the thous and the haths and and all that. And sometimes it happens, you know, because we are trying to approach him in a way that's respectful. Yeah, but it's not to be just giant words, or it's not to be super poetical and, and all that. It's, you know, unless you're wanting to impress people, I guess. Jesus says that's fine if you want to impress people, but you have your reward. If you're praying to people, for people, to impress people, he says that's your reward right there. Don't, don't expect me to listen if you're not praying to me. If you're praying to them, to show them, and to show off to them, and be impressing them, and that's your reward, and you're not even really talking to me anyway, so I'm not really listening. Nope. He's honest. He tells us that. And he says, you know, that, that's your reward. And the way he says it, it's like, that's the insult, right? Like that, you're missing out. If you're saying you're praying for men, sorry, I guess you have your reward. And yet, that's what we kind of live for, isn't it? To get the praise of men, it seems like, to try to, to wow them, to, to try to show them that, to wow, that, boy, I, I, he's something, you know, to try to impress our fellow man. In the world, it just seems like that's what we're after. Try to impress one another, to try to get their accolades, to try to get that award, to try to get that, oh boy, you know, he got this award, he got that accolade, he got this title, he has that title. It seems like that's where we go. And, and Jesus makes that all seem so worthless, doesn't he? Because in his view, it's worthless. We've seen that as we've gone through First and Second Kings. First and Second Kings tells us the spiritual side of things, where First and Second Chronicles tells us the, what the king did and where he was going on. A lot of times, God didn't care about what people did. How were they with him? A life might be as easy as they did not serve me, or they were, they were close to what David did, and they had this one good battle over here. And God acknowledges when they did good, and he acknowledges when they did. They did not walk after David. They walk after, you know, they are on lust, and he tells them that. And so God boils our life down to, are we pleasing him? Are we doing things for him? Are we doing things for men? So things for men are temporary. It doesn't really matter. It seems shallow. It seems hollow. It seems like it just rings dead. It doesn't ring true. He's like, if you're doing it for men, do it for men. But if you're wanting to pray to God, I'll teach you. That's what they've been asking him to do, so he does. And I think he does it to get our attention. You know, are, are, we, are we wanting to impress people? And, and here he's wanting to, to teach us, and he says, do I have your attention now? If you're praying for men, then pray to men. and Pray the way they want you to. If you're wanting to speak, see, uh, seek God's face and talk to him, here's how you do it. 
And that's what we have here, how he instructs us. Um, I think he wants us to want more. I think he wants us to want it to be real, a real conversation between him and God, or us and God. Verse 6. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which is in, in secret, uh, the father which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. I don't think he really literally means like you have to go to your closet. You're like, I don't have much closet space. I don't, I don't really think it's that. I think he's just talking about a private place, a place where you're alone with God, a place where you have a time alone with him, just you and him. And you're talking to God, not to a crowd, not for show, not to a bunch of people. And he says that God will answer in front of people. He says he'll hear you in those quiet times and he'll do it in front of men. So that he gets the praise, he gets the glory, he gets the pat on the back, not you for your fancy flowery words. The world gets it wrong in other ways too, because they want to do it in front of people, they want to do it public, and they want to do it that way, and they get that wrong. God said, no, you one-on-one. No, there's a time for public prayer. We open with public prayer, and um, there's a time when they do it for show. But the world gets it wrong elsewhere too, verse 7. But when they pray, or when, but when you pray... Use not vain repetitions as certain heathen do, or as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Vain repetitions. Saying words over and over and over, like it's a penance in some time. And well, there's a sect of religion that does that. Oh, you did this wrong? Say so many prayers exactly like this. Here's a little thing to help you keep count. And you work through the beads and, and you say that so many times and you're making your payment back for what you did. Christ paid for our sins. We don't. It's almost like a self-torture. Oh, you did something wrong? Now pay for it. Go sit in the corner and say this so many times. Kind of like when you get in trouble and word, I will not talk in class. You had to write on the word. Or I remember having to write it in a notebook. You know, you, so many times you had to do that. You know, Boy, that was before they had control copy, control paste. No, no. But, but that's, and you, know, but was, you had to write it all out. It was, it was punishment in that way. Or it's like, um, I have read in, in um, witches' books and stuff that, Spells, saying the word over and over again. If you said that phrase over and over again, you can make something to happen. You know, um, I remember specifically reading one at school. It was like at a basketball game, you can say "miss that basket" five thousand times and they'll miss it. You know, basketball is way too fast for it. But, you know, but you know, it was like you know, I was trying to say this thing like you're trying to influence it. You know that uh, you know if you say it enough, God will finally hear you. Or maybe it's my words have power, and if I say them over and over, I can release the power of my words, and the words will be set free, and then they'll create whatever I'm speaking into the universe, into this earth. And there's religions that push that. The words are faith, and the words are the containers of faith. If you just release those words, it'll happen, and the universe has to expand because you're so powerful. No, God is powerful. You know, we need Him. We are the creatures. He is the Creator. You know, but they also say, well, if you if you just chanted enough, and you've repeated enough, and you have enough. Self-torture in that way. And then, you know, maybe, you know, God will awake to who you and like, oh, I hear somebody who keeps saying something. Who is that? I'll answer them. You can't manipulate God. You can't force God. You can't bunch him into a corner and back him up to make him have to answer you because you've asked so many times and you've done this so many ways. You did it in a certain thing and you lit this candle and you had the perfume going. You did these things. God is not manipulated in that way. And God is not far off. He's not like you have to get his attention uh, the version John's going to tell us, he's near, he hears you. See, Elijah, you know, if you look at the, uh, how the cults do it and how they did it, they were worshiping Baal, and they were trying to call down the fire, if you remember the battle on Mount Carmel. And so they'd said the same things over and over, and they cut themselves, and they yelled, and they said things over and over again, and they screamed, and then Elijah comes down and is like, maybe he's on a journey. 
You know, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's in the bathroom. He said that. He used the King James word pursuing. But it means maybe he's in the, maybe he got a knock. Maybe he's just forgot about you for a while. God does not forget. God is not some far off place. He is involved in all of our lives. It's not like deism where we think that God just started creation and then left. No, he's involved with his creation. He cares about what's going on. God is near. And he's near and he's involved in Christian lives. We'll see that later. Verse 8. He says, But be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask him. He knows. He knows. He knows your life, and he knows what you're going to ask. He knows what it's going to be, but he's told us to pray. He's commanded us to pray. He's told us to pray always. He's prayed without ceasing, that we're to be talking to him. It's a communion, a fellowship with him, a conversation that we're to be having. Verse 9, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Honor him. Honor his name. Address him, who he is. Remind yourself who he is and who you're talking to by saying who he is and who you're talking to. Uh, the names of God. I know the ladies went through in their Sunday school class, went through the names of God and praying the names of God and who he is and, and how he is and the Elohim and the, and the El Shaddai and all these different ones that you would, uh, that, that, that you would say all these and, and say what that means and who it says that he is through all these, that you would say that to him. So we acknowledge him and who he is, that we are talking to him, the God of the universe, the creator, the God of the Bible. Verse 10, thy kingdom come. We'll stop there. It's not a bad thing. A lot of people say that like it's a bad thing. You know, I'm going to knock you into kingdom come. You know, it's like, yeah, that's, that's the end of time you know, when God comes in that way. It's kingdom come as in kingdom is coming. We are to want it. God says this to be in your prayer. How often? It's a part of your model prayer. Pray that his kingdom is coming. Pray that he is coming today. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That we are to long for it. We are to desire it. We are to pray for it. And it's just ridiculous that we have churches out there that say it's, it's not coming. It's not going to be that way. There's no rapture. He's not going to have all this and deny all these promises that God has made. And that he says that he will do. That I am not a God who lies. I'm a God who says it and I mean it. And he's told us he's coming back. He tells us to do communion until he returns. You know? And so we are to do these things looking for his return. We're to pray for it. We're to pray for the battles of this world to be over. We are to pray for sin to end, where we don't have to wrestle with it any longer. We're to pray for death and tears to be, and heartaches to be over, to where it will be a happy, happy land, a happy reunion where we're with Him. And victory has come, and God is in control, and God is on the throne, and we are, He is ruling and reigning, and there is no more adversary, and we're able to rest in Him. We are to pray for that, where He comes down and displays His power, that He is Lord of all, and He establishes kingdom, and He renews uh, the Eden-like place in which the earth was before it all fell. We're to pray for that. Thy kingdom come. But it goes on. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We're to pray for his will to be done. We're to pray for God's will to be done here. Um, it's kind of scary sometimes because he works in mysterious ways, right? Lord, but we pray that your will would be done. We are to trust him. We are to be conformed to be like Him and to seek His will. And then our will is to be conformed to His will. And so we're praying for His will. And we're basically saying through that, Lord, may my will be Your will. And may You work through that. And may it come here on earth. May I be a willing instrument, a usable instrument in Your hand, as in heaven. Because you would see that uh, the Lord would speak to uh, Gabriel. Gabriel, go give the message. He goes and does it. He speaks to Jonah. Go give the message. No, I'm getting on a boat going the other way. That's, that's how we are, right? And everything in the story of Jonah, everything obeyed God but the man. You know, the fish obeyed God, swallowed him up. 
The fish obeyed God, puked him out. Uh, the plant obeyed God and it grew. The plant obeyed God when he said wither, it did. The son obeyed God when he put down the heat on him. But the man was uh, contentious the whole time. That, that's a hus, right? Everything obeys him. A donkey obeys him. The seas obey him. Peace be still. The people, I don't know about that God, should I? That's us. Yeah, but we are to trust him. We are to be conformed into his will. We are to do what he's told us to do. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Count our blessings. Acknowledge what he's given us, that we have it and that he's given it to us. He's given us the job and the ability to be able to work, to go, and the car, and the transport, and the, and the money that we have. It's through him. We might say, well, I bought this meal. No, God made the meal grow. They even have it in the ground. There's so much that we should be thankful for, that we should acknowledge him and appreciate it. And then just enough for today. To trust him that day is what he's saying. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That we seek forgiveness each and every day, but it's contingent on how we have forgiven others. That's to keep us in checks and balances, right? That's to keep us in line so that we are not walking around thinking that I've got it all, but we have to be in that same way. The Lord forgives us. We ask him to forgive us. We need to be forgiving of others. And so we need to have an attitude of forgiveness and show forgiveness. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. To avoid it. Lead us not into temptation. Lord, don't let me be tested. Don't let me be tempted where I might fail. If I am, give me strength. Help me to avoid evil. I don't want that, and you don't want that. Lord, help me. Deliver us from that. Give us victory, and Lord, victory is yours. Victory in our lives, and it's all yours. The kingdom, the power, and the glory. And then it ends with amen. That's a word we often say. It means so be it. Or may it be fulfilled. It means that. In public prayer, if uh, I pray, then you all say amen. It means that's our prayer too. We agree with that. So be it. Yes, we agree. And we ascend to that. And it's us doing it as a group then. Oh, yes, let that be. Uh, My prayer too. It makes it your own when you say amen. Amen is the best known word in human speech. I can't say in English. It's the best known word in human speech because it's often the same word throughout all languages, which is pretty cool, I think. And it has the same meaning. It's universal. A confidence in God that we believe, yea, truly we believe. And they might apply it to their own God, but they'll say amen. You know, we know it. It's kind of powerful. This stuck with John as he's heard him teach. When Jesus took time to teach you, I think you paid attention. John paid attention. I think any lesson from Jesus would just have you riveted. But here it was, this was intimate. It was something he was telling him. It was something that they'd watch. They'd watch Jesus pray, and they'd watch him do it. And they're like, Show, teach us how you pray. You pray differently. And so he's done that. He's honored that, and he's told them. They desired it. He's given it to them. And John is left different. And John is left on the earth. He's the last disciple. The other ones have all been killed off. And I think that's when he's written the book of 1 John, if we turn there. And so he still communicates with Jesus. It's not like he abandoned him. And so he still has this conversation. So his conversations can continue. And that's through prayer. That's 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 is where we are. We'll read 14 and 15. So 1 John 5, verse 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Sounds good, doesn't it? We pray, God hears, he answers. Does it work that way? Doesn't seem like it, does it? 
It's because it's not exactly what we think it means. It's not exactly how we would like it to be. But boy, I just pray and he answers. It's not that God is not a genie. That we just go and we rub to, Lord, I want this, give me that. Uh, Lord, help me with this. He's not that. He's more like a parent. I mean, he's called our Heavenly Father, and that <laughs> works out well. And so he's to be a parent. My parents love me. They did not give me everything I asked for, or I'd be driving a Batmobile. <laughs> but, but no, they, did not, they didn't give me everything I asked for. They didn't give me everything I desired. They didn't give me everything I wanted. There were things I cried about. I remember one time, and a lot of times it was for my, not all the time, it was for my best interest. You know, I remember one time specifically, it's still ingrained in my mind. We're in the grocery store, I'm with mom, you know, I'm little enough, I'm having to hang on the cart, you know, going around, and we go by a spinach aisle and Popeye's on there. If it's a cartoon, I'm sold, you know, and so Popeye's on there, it's a spinach can, I'm like, I want spinach, and mom's like, you won't like it. I'm like, it'll make me strong, I want spinach, and she's like, no, and so she turned around, I threw it in the cart, and so we get up front, and they're, and they're scanning, well, they weren't scanning things there, they were actually putting in numbers, it was back in the day, they're putting in the numbers, and they get to the spinach, and mom's like, we didn't buy that. And I'm like, uh, she's like, oh, I'll buy it, and you will eat it. <laughs> Mom was right. I did not like it. <laughs> it did not make me super strong. And so she had my best interest at heart, but boy, she gave me what I wanted, and it wasn't what I wanted at all. You know, it wasn't, and I didn't have the results I wanted. And so God's that way, too, that he's the parent, and we think we know what we want, but he knows best. You know, Mom saw more than I did. She had experience. She knew, and she knew me. God sees way further than our parents do. He sees way much farther. He understands and wants what's better for us even than our parents want for us. Uh, the poet Garth Brooks said, <laughs> some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. That was a, a popular song. You know, Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And, and you think about that, and you're like, how, how could that be? But J. Vernon McGee, I think it's him, I think I've credited the right person. J. Vernon McGee says, you want to know if that's true? Go to your high school reunion. Oh, well, <laughs> it says that you'll be like, oh boy, God, I'm glad you didn't answer those prayers yeah, because those people didn't turn out anything like I thought they would and they weren't near as cool. And so I think that his little quip in that way puts it pretty well you know, in that way. So, you know, so God saves you, helps you dodge some bullets, I think, sometimes. Verse 14 starts out with, and this is the confidence that we have in him. Uh, see, this isn't a verse by itself. It's a verse within the context of 1 John chapter 5, and 1 John chapter 5, chapter 5 comes at the end of four other chapters, and John has been going through this whole book giving us confidence. These things are written that you might know, that you might know, that you might know, and it's, we've told that it's not just an epistle, it is a family book. He is writing to the church family, and he's writing to the church family who is busy about the church business. It's those who are active, it's those who are pursuing God, seeking a close relationship with God. He is writing to the family members who are living this out loud, and so he's wanted to be active, and he wants us to have confidence, and verse 13 came before verse 14, and verse 13 says, you are saved and you know it, and we've went through the test that we are to know, to examine ourselves to see. And he says, and if these things are written in you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants us to be confident in our, confident in our salvation. And he says, if you're confident in, your sal- confident in your salvation, then you can have confidence to go before him to talk, that we know that we go there. I could list all morning the Bible verses that talk about how God hears us. But one, as Proverbs fifteen twenty nine, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. The prayers of the righteous are close to him. The wicked, he doesn't hear them. The prayer that we can kind of boil it down to, the first prayer that God understands and hears, we know he knows everything, but the first one he responds to is when a sinner says, save me. 
But once we've been transformed and born to the family, God hears us. He's near unto us. And we could go through the scriptures and say he is near, he is around, he is there, and God is listening and he knows. And we just saw in the model prayer that he says he knows your needs before you even ask them, but we are to ask for them. So see, with with this confidence of knowing that he is here and that he hears the prayers of the righteous, we can go before God and we know that he hears us. It's not like we're talking to the ceiling. It's not like you're just speaking to the windshield on your way into the work or it just stays at your covers as you're laying there in bed. That God hears it, that you're going before God's throne, that God's ear listens when you speak. He hears, He knows, He understands, and He already knows why you're asking that. And He sympathizes and He knows these things. But He is a loving parent. It says more, though. Verse 14 says, We have confidence, and this confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything, and here's the clarifier, according to His will, He heareth us. That's the little caveat that goes in there, right? It's according to his will. That goes right along with what John was telling us, or Matthew recorded for us, that I think influenced John, when Jesus says, here's how you pray. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have to pray in accordance to God's will. Our, praise, our prayers are to be in line with God's will. Do we know what God's will for us? God's will is for us. Yes or no, Right? We know some of the basic things that God would have us to do, but I don't know everything that God would have for me. I know he has something for me. You know, he, he has the plans that are for us. We, we have these verses that remind us of this. We know some for sure, but we also know that we're to pray in, in those promises. If we know his will, we're to pray from in that spot. We're to be aligned with his will. We're to try to pray in his will. We're to try to say, is this prayer that I'm requesting, does it, does it fit what you would have me to have? Is this good things that you want? Is my motive right with you? Um, hold your spot and look real fast at James. So James chapter 4, not too far to turn. Because James 4 warns us, James 4 verse 3 says, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. You know, some things we want just for us. We're not asking within his will, we're asking for us. Lord, give me that Lamborghini, I'll be able to spread the gospel all the faster. You know, that's, that's, we're praying within ourselves, we're not praying within his will. You know, uh, and so we want our will and his will to align. We know that sin hinders our prayer, if you turn back to First John. But first John gives us the Christian bar of soap, first John one nine, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're to search the word and make sure that we're in, con- in accordance to what he wants us to say. The Spirit helps us when we're lacking, right? The Spirit intercedes on our behalf and makes intercession for us when we're like, Lord, I don't know how to pray within you. I don't know what I'll, but Lord, you know my heart and you know my desire and you go to him aching in that way and it says the Spirit interprets it for us and, 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 and does what he needs to on that behalf. And that's Romans eight twenty six. Prayer is not changing God's mind. It's conforming our mind. George Mueller, uh, who had some prayers answered in some mighty ways. George Mueller was the one who had the orphanage over in England. And he's the one that was like, uh, when they're like, George, you know, the cupboards are bare. And he's like, well, it's time for breakfast. Set the kids at the table. And they're like, uh, there's no breakfast to give the kids. He's like, the Lord knows the kids need to eat. The orphans need to eat. Put them at the table. He's like, uh, where are the dishes? Put their dishes out. And he's like, I've made my request unto the Lord. Breakfast will be here. God knows these kids need to eat. About that time, the baker's like, I don't know, he comes up the door, I got up last night, and I just felt like, man, those, those little orphans needed something to eat, and so I made some extra bread. You want some? Yep, go ahead and serve it. About that time, you know, they had nothing to drink, and another guy's like, 
Hey, my, my wagon wheel broke on my milk cart. I can't get it anywhere. It's going to spoil. Can you use it? Yep, serve the children. And so he's out there. And so he prayed knowing the will. And he knew what it was and knowing what God would have. And he has a life of records and accounts that way. This man, George Mueller, said, Prayer is not, not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his willingness. It's not like God's not wanting to answer you and you have to beseech him until he does. It's coming along with him, with his willingness, what he wants to do. But he wants to change our desires to fit along with his. Verse 15 says he hears us. If we know that he hears us, and we should know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. It says he hears us. But what about when it's within his will, and we've searched our motives, and they're good, we think, and our sins are confessed, and the request goes unanswered. We can't see how it would ever be selfish. We can't say how it would ever be wrong. And we search our heart and we try to make sure, Lord, do I, do I want this selfish? Do I want this wrong? Well, I think this is good. Matter of fact, I think your word tells me to pursue this. And, and the answer is still no. Because sometimes no is an answer. Don't like that. Sometimes it's not now. Sometimes it's later. All the time I think it's trust me. And those are hard, but maybe they're to help steer us and to guide us. And maybe things aren't going to be answered the way we thought or the way we thought, and we need to then pursue it and say, Lord, help me to see, and how, how should I pursue this, and how do I go, and how, how do I do this? But we're to continually be beseeching. We're not to quit. We're not to slack. We're not to stop. Maybe the circumstances, maybe we, or maybe we need to circumvent and, 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 and not try to circumvent him, but move different ways until we get on the path where we know that he wants us to go. Try other things. Try other avenues. Ask differently. Seek our heart differently. Go through and reinvestigate again and again. Why do I want this? How do I want this? Why is this good? How will this be good? Lord, Lord, and just go out and bring it again and just searching, searching, seeking. Maybe it's timing. Maybe it's to his glory. I heard a story of a woman who got saved shortly after she got married. Her and her husband were not saved. And she shortly after thereafter got saved. And her desire was for her husband to be saved. And she prayed. And she prayed. And she prayed. And 18 years go by. And then the husband got saved. 18 years of unanswered prayers. But the pastor, as he was... uh, Ministering with the man, he took him time and discipled him. He's like, I think I see fruit. I think this is real. I don't think he's just doing this because you've warned him. I, don't, I, I think this is genuine repentance. I, as, he goes, what do you see at home? And the woman began to cry and she goes, I see the husband I've been praying for all these years. I see the man that I want. I see, I see what God has done. It's a miracle. God has done it. It took 18 years so that she didn't say it was circumstance. It wasn't her pride. It wasn't what anything else that went on. It was 18 years of consistently going to him that showed that it was the Lord and the Lord alone. And she praised God for it. So maybe that's it. So that we, we don't say it was chance. So that we don't say it was circumstance. So that we don't say it just happened. It was blind luck. That God answered this because we sought him. And we sought him. And we sought him. I remember another preacher talking about a mother praying for the salvation of a child the same way. And many, many other things. So God heard, and he answered in his time, and she knew it, and we can know it. So we need to, I guess, just seek his will. It is hard. 
Because I can look in this room and think of many unanswered prayers. Many heartaches, and they're good things that we pray for and that we seek for. But, but Matthew 7 does tell us, turn there. Matthew 7, verse 7 says, Ask and it shall be given you. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. There's a persistence in that. There's a persistence in it. And I have to say there's wisdom in that as a parent as well. Because how many things have I wanted and thought I wanted and thought I couldn't live without that once I got didn't make that big a difference. It was fun for a day. I kind of forgot about it and moved on and went on that way. And so maybe he's just wanting to make sure. Make sure, make sure. Make sure he gets the praise. Make sure he gets the glory. Maybe he's still conforming us, changing us, putting our faith and trust in him. Saying, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, to, to, to put us to the word more. To put us to inspect ourselves more. To be honest more. To seek it more with our whole heart so that he could say, yeah, I see that. 18 years, okay. And I'm not saying that's a magic number. But, but just to align ourselves with Him, to align our will with Him, to ask according to Him, to seek and to pursue, to be happy with Him, to be trusting Him. To be trusting Him. I think that's where it goes, because we know that He hears, and we know that we have confidence. But we're to be asking within His will... And then we're to trust Him. Doesn't mean it's always easy. Doesn't mean it's always easy at all. But He is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. I think I'll leave it there. He is trustworthy. Let's close the prayer.